David's Daily Digital Dollop. Dollop 330. Weakened Warrior. I'll explain now that I'm recording the audio version of this dollop a couple of weeks after I originally wrote it. Hence why my voice is absolutely fine. Five consecutive singing weekends and multiple schools during the week has finally pushed my body to the limit. And my voice has now completely broken. By which I mean that I don't have a voice. Rather than that I've reached some rare and advanced form of post-pubescent puberty that has caused my voice to drop yet another octave and my balls to drop to ankle level. If those two things did happen, then it would certainly make my mouth-biting research pale into insignificance when compared to that remarkable and unusual transition. Unfortunately, my voice couldn't hold out until the end of our fifth and final weekend and it began to become apparent on Saturday morning that I was in trouble. But what to do when you're hosting a singing weekend and your voice goes? But just to plough on? The dollop aficionados among you, the hardcore dollop brigade, will remember that in dollop 295, entitled, of course, Ill Eagle, I mentioned how often when I'm ill and I need to do a performance, I will get a surge of adrenaline that will carry me through. The adrenaline surge can also make me feel rather delirious and a bit more hyperactive than usual which gives the performance an interesting edge, which fortunately people seem to find funny. However, once the performance is done, my body will punish me big time and will give me all the pain that it's been protecting me from during the gig. This works fine when you only need 90 minutes of respite from your illness, but it doesn't work at all well when you ask your body to do this for days and even weeks on end. On Friday, my body gave me a massive adrenaline charge and I was talking really fast and I was coming out with all sorts of random nonsense, but fortunately people seem to find this funny. However, once the Friday Friday night was over, it hit me hard. I tried to battle on through Saturday morning and the afternoon, but I knew that I was pushing my throat beyond its limits, and I was maybe even risking long-term damage. I had no choice but to back off, which was really frustrating. The Saturday night quiz, therefore, which is usually quite a shambolic affair, in a positive and unruly way, with people shouting and heckling me, had to be a bit more restrained, given that I just couldn't speak above the noise, so it was a little bit more sedate and respectful than usual. On the Sunday morning, we did another quiz which involved us acting out scenes from films and sitcoms. In this quiz, I tend to play the angry, shouty characters, but on Sunday, my voice had more or less completely gone, meaning there was less of a shout and more of a weird, angry, squeaky whisper. This added an extra dimension of inadvertent comedy to the whole thing. The sound of my voice mixed with the absurdity of trying to brave on despite having no voice, and the delirium from the adrenaline that my body was still feverishly trying to pump out caused me to frequently laugh hysterically at it all. A laugh which had a very peculiar and shrill squeaky quality due to having no voice and the sound of hearing my laugh made me laugh even more. Fortunately everyone else was laughing as well otherwise it might have been quite sad and embarrassing if it was just me laughing in a weird hysterical screechy voice while everyone else just sat there bemused wondering what on earth had possessed them to pay for this experience. At the end of the singing weekend it is tradition for me to do a Sunday sermon where I take on the persona of a vicar or a priest and tell a story from my life that I then loosely try and appropriate to some kind of worthy spiritual moral. Today I told the story from Dollop 291, which Dollop nerds will remember, told the story of what happened when I got caught indecently exposing myself in a street in Hartlepool at 3am whilst wearing an accordion. One of the reasons I chose to tell this tale was because the story was used for a secondary school assembly at the school that I attended 15 years ago, and the head teacher 
teacher who gave that assembly used to be my head teacher back then. And this very same head teacher had paid to come on this singing weekend and was sitting in front of me while I presented my sermon to him and an assembly of others. It was quite odd to consider that 15 years earlier I was sitting cross-legged on the school hall floor listening to him giving me a sermon. And now here I was delivering a sermon to him, although I generously let him have a seat. Maybe I should have made him sit cross-legged on the floor just to show him how uncomfortable it is. I lead a very strange life. David's Daily Digital Dollop Dolloped. <coughs> 331. That was not a cough for dramatic effect. <coughs> that was very much a real cough. I've still hardly got any voice left. <coughs> On the train journey back, I ended up chatting to <coughs> loads of people. My intention was to write the dollop. But I ended up chatting to loads of people. I was heading to London to see my girlfriend. And I was meant to be in London for this week, seeing friends as well. So the idea was to see my girlfriend on the Sunday and then spend a bit of Monday with her and then see my friends Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And I'd already booked the train travel and I'd already booked the hotels and stuff like that. So I didn't really want to cancel things because that would let people down. But at the same time, what I really could have just done with was just resting my voice and just being in my own bed and just doing nothing. Apart from, obviously, the David's Daily Digital Dollop. That is paramount. That will stay regardless. But I had no chance to do that, really. Um, but I thought, well, at least I can spend the train journey just... I've got three and a half hours. I thought, at least I can spend the train journey just relaxing, just writing a dollop and resting my voice. So we just finished our singing weekend. As I told you in yesterday's dollop, I could barely talk by the end of that. And I was just looking forward to resting my voice. But it turned out that six of the singing weekenders were actually... <coughs> <coughs> heading on the same train and we all sat together and they were all very chatty and so I ended up getting in conversation with them and at this point my voice was in absolute agony and I sort of wanted to talk to them it was nice to talk to them and, but I was aware that firstly I needed to write the dollop and secondly I didn't really have much of a voice and I was taxing it a bit but at the same time I wanted to be sociable and make conversation and I, because I was sitting with them it didn't seem right to sort of say well that's it I'm just doing my own thing I'm getting my laptop out now and I'm just going to write and also I wouldn't be able to concentrate because I'd be listening to what they was saying and I'd probably end up chipping in and stuff so I ended up talking <coughs> on the train for the first hour and a half of the journey and then we got to Doncaster where we had to change and we were all in separate seats there weren't any seats together and they were in a different carriage so I thought well I'll see them say goodbye at the end of you know when we get to London but now I'll be able to rest my voice and get on with a dollop so I said goodbye to uh, the six people and I said we'll see you at the other end I'll see you at uh, London King's Cross to say goodbye and then I was sitting next to someone on the train who'd also reserved a seat. No one I knew. She starts talking to me because she'd heard me say goodbye to everybody. And she went, oh, your voice doesn't sound like it's very good. And I said, oh, no, my, uh, I've got a sore throat. And I started telling her about it. She said, oh, how did you get that then? What have you been up to? So out of politeness, started telling her what I'd been doing. And she said, oh, that sounds really interesting. Um, so she started asking me loads of questions about it. And I was, again, too polite to sort of say, Oh, I really need to rest my voice here. Anyway, so I end up talking to her for another half an hour. And then she says, right, I've got to get off here. I'm getting off here. It's been lovely to talk to you. You make sure you rest that voice. Looks like you need to rest your voice. And I'm thinking, well, I was trying to rest my voice, but you were talking to me, <laughs> asking me questions. Obviously, I didn't say that. I was like, oh, yes, of course I will. So she gets off. And I think, finally, I can write the dollop and rest my voice. And what happens? Someone else sits next to me and starts talking to me. She's like, oh, the trains are running a bit behind, aren't they? And so I just sort of tried to say, yeah. But it kind of came out, well, like that, basically. And she went, oh, you don't sound very well. And I was like, oh, here we go again. I was like, no, I'm not really. Oh, how did you get a sore throat like that? 
<coughs> so again, I had to answer her questions. And anyway, she kept saying, oh, well, the best thing to do is just to rest your voice. That's what you need to do. You just need to have a good rest, rest your voice and stuff like that. But then she kept asking me more and more questions. And this is ridiculous because at least the other one had given me the rest your voice advice at the end. Maybe suddenly realised the irony of what she just said and thought, oh, bloody hell, I've just made him talk for the last half hour. But this one was telling me to rest my voice while asking me more and more questions. But then after each thing, she was like, yeah, all you need is a bit of rest. Make sure you get some rest. Rest that voice. I don't think I'm, but I'm trying to rest my voice. I was trying to work out maybe if I could do it as a, in a bit of a joke. I could say, well, I'm trying to rest my voice, but you keep talking to me. Could I do it as a joke? But I was a bit worried because I'd then have to do a bit of a laugh if I was to do that. I'd have to sort of try and go, yeah, well, I'm trying to rest my voice, but someone keeps talking to me. <laughs> but the trouble is, my laugh at that point was coming out really weirdly. I saw, I talked about this in yesterday's dollops. I was a bit worried that my laugh would be like, oh, well, I'm trying to rest my voice, but someone keeps talking to me. And that would just freak her out. And she'd think, what the bloody hell is he doing? Is he, is he about to attack me? Is he angry? So I thought, well, I don't want to do that. So I was just polite. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll try and rest my voice. So I end up spending the majority of the train journey talking to her. And then she gets off the train. And then it's the final leg of the journey. And there's no one sitting next to me. And I think, right, finally... I can get to London, I'll have a nice relaxing meal with, with my girlfriend and um, and we'll just chill and, and uh, I don't really have to use my voice. There's no real reason to use my voice really, you know, I can just whisper to her essentially, it's just the two of us. <coughs> and at that minute I get a text. There was an original plan which had been changed, which was to meet uh, her parents the first time. We've only been together a month and a half and their plan was to meet her parents, but then that sort of fell through. But then she said, oh, meeting the parents, back on the cards. I've booked a table for seven o'clock. And I thought, my God, I've got no voice. And now I've got to do the meet the parents thing. And I sound like a serial killing pervert or something, you know, I sound very dodgy. And, you know, I've got to kind of meet the parents like this. Not only do I have to make conversation, but also I'm worried about what the heck they're going to think about me. And by this point, I've got hardly any voice at all. But obviously I didn't want to say... Oh, no, that's not a good idea. So I was like, oh, yes, absolutely fine. Uh, <laughs> I thought, I've got to use my voice. Either. You know, there's still no rest for the voice. I get off at the train station. And she says, oh, I'm running a bit late. Proving difficult to get out of work. I'll, I'll be there in about an hour or so. Anyway, so I meet up with the um, people who had, who had been on the single weekend with us. And I said, oh, I've got about an hour and a half wait until um, my girlfriend arrives. And they said, oh, well, we'll have a tea with you. We'll come and have a tea with you. I thought, well, that's... Nice, because I could do it with a warm drink. But then, obviously, remember we got chatting even more. By this point, my voice is absolutely shot to bits. I can't talk. And I said, oh, well, feel free. You know, you don't have to wait. If you want, I can just get on with some typing and stuff. And they were like, oh, OK, well, well, we'll leave you now and you can rest your voice. They leave. And what happens? Someone comes up to me. Is anyone sitting here? I said, uh, no. So he sits down and he basically starts having a chat with me. He's this Yorkshire bloke. He says, hey, sounds like you're from the same area that I'm from, mate. Where are you from? And we end up chatting. He says, oh, it doesn't sound like you've got a good voice there. And we end up chatting. Oh, you need some rest, mate. That's what you need. You just need some rest. And I'm bloody trying to rest, but everyone keeps trying to talk to me. Normally, I'd be absolutely fine with this, but I'm trying to write a dollop and I'm trying to rest my voice. And I've got to meet my girlfriend's parents for the first time. I'm just trying to rest my voice. And the stupid thing as well was I, was, I, I sort of thought, well, if I explain this to him, maybe he'll sort of say, oh, I'll leave you in peace, mate. But I did, and he's like, oh, meeting the parents for the first time, and hey, how did you meet? And all this just didn't make a single bit of difference. And then eventually he was like, right, well, I've got to go now. You make sure you rest that voice, mate. <laughs> By the time it came to meeting the parents, 
all I could muster was, you know, bearing in mind I'd used my voice for the entire weekend. I then spent my the rest of the few hours talking to strangers on the train and at the train station. By the time it came to the important meeting of meeting my girlfriend's parents for the first time, all I could muster was essentially uh, that kind of weird noise. I could barely speak. Goodness knows what they thought. <laughs> I couldn't do anything. <coughs> I could barely speak. I managed to utter a few words, but it was uh, it was hard going. But um, on the plus side, though, it meant that I didn't get the interrogation that I might have otherwise got. You know, I might have got the whole, when, when Katie went to the toilet, I might have got the whole, what are your intentions with our daughter and that kind of thing. But because I couldn't speak, I didn't get any of that because it wouldn't have got any sense out of me anyway. And to be honest, they probably thought, well, we know what your intentions are with my daughter. We can hear it. You sound like a serial killing pervert. I don't think the question needed to be asked. Oh, so it was quite an odd day yesterday. And now I can't speak. So I'm going to end the dollop here. But hopefully you've enjoyed this little tale. And um, also, Kate was on the phone to her dad a few minutes ago, and he was asking how I was doing. And she said, oh, he's doing all right, but he's just about to go and try and record a dollop. And she said, oh, I'll make sure I'll listen. So if you are listening, then I apologise for my weird visceral noises. And I want you to know that I just had a sore throat. I am not a serial-killing pervert. A pervert, yes, maybe, but I've only committed, I'd say I only committed three murders. Does that really make me a serial killer? Maybe it does, but they were quite spread out, sort of a few years apart. So I'm not sure if you can class me as a serial killer. I'm a, I'm a dabbler, more of a dabbler, a dabbling pervert. So hopefully that puts your mind at ease there. And to the rest of you, thank you very much for listening. I'll be back tomorrow for dollop uh, 332. Hello, could you hear me? In case you're listening, I'm not a serial killer. I'm a dabbler. I thought you'd have been sat in here. I like open the door really quietly and I close the door really quietly. Oh, you see how respectful she is? Yeah. David's Daily Digital Dollop. <laughs> dollop 332. No, don't worry, I'm just joking. I'm just doing that to wind up Michael and Sean there from the Youngins, who listened to yesterday's dollop in order to check up on how my voice was sounding and uh, were rather worried because we've got a gig on Friday. We've got a rehearsal for Christmas gigs on uh, Thursday. We start our Christmas tour on Friday. And so they listened to yesterday's dollop, checked in to hear how my voice was sounding, were rather worried by what they heard. Uh, But as they can hear, I'm sounding a lot better now. I thought I'd just pretend that my voice was really bad there. Freak them out a little bit. I thought I would tell you about what happened when I was in the shower. Oh, now you're listening, aren't you, Michael? (laughs) Oh, dear. I thought I'd tell you about what happened in the shower because I turned it on. It's one of those tap control showers, so it's controlled through the tap. And I turned the tap and uh, it came out really fast. It didn't really seem to be a slow setting. And it came out really fast. I got in the shower, I turned on the hot tap, and I thought, hopefully I can get in the shower and then adjust the cold before it gets hot. It might take a while to heat up. Bloody hell, it didn't take a while to heat up. I got in the shower and I could feel that it was massively hot. And then I was in a bit of a dilemma of what to do. I thought, well, what do you think? Well, simple, David, just turn on the cold tap a bit and it'll equal it out. Well, that's all very well and good. We're not for the fact that you can't adjust it without getting scalded by the stream, the jet of hot water. So I tried to make a dive for it, but it was just too much. It was just too hot. So I tried a few times and it was scalding me. I tried doing it by stealth. That wasn't working. 
I thought, what I'm really going to have to do here is I'm going to have to be really quick. I'm going to have to make a dive for it. I'm being, I mean, I'm talking about, probably, I've been stood under there for a minute now, and the water is just pouring down, and I, I can't do anything about it. I'm cowering, and I'm thinking, I don't know how, what, to, what to do. I tried getting out of the shower and operating it from the curtain, but even that was scalding my arm, and I was trying to get a hold of the tap. My arm was just being scalded, and literally it was too hot to touch. And I thought, right, if I'm careful here, what I can do is I can make a dive for it, under the bath, not under the, <laughs> under the, uh, right at the bottom of the bath. I can like, I can make a really low dive for it. That's what I'm gonna have to do. I'm gonna have to make a really low dive for it. And then I'm gonna have to <coughs> pounce, get my hand and I'm, with my right hand, I'm gonna have to get the tap really quickly. It's gonna have to be a split second action because it's gonna scald me if I'm any longer than a quarter of a second. So I brace myself, the scalding water still now and again hitting me. I brace myself for this and I go for it, I dive. Well, the good news is I got the tap. I got hold of the tap and I spun it. The bad news is I banged my chin very hard off the rail, the disability rail that you're meant to hold on to, I suppose, the safety rail. And I thought there was a certain irony as I lay on the floor. My tooth felt like it was gonna, about to come out. And I was a certain, well, I wasn't thinking this at the time, actually. I make it sound like as I'm lying on the floor. Let me try and paint a picture here, because um, I wasn't thinking this more esoteric thought at this point in time. This is something I thought about after the event. At the time, I was uh, lying on the floor, my chin throbbing and my tooth feeling like it was about to come out. And because my chin had hit the rail, in my shock and in my urgency just to grab the tap, I pulled the tap as hard as it would go. And um, <laughs> I ended up doing two things things that uh, had put me in a bit of a problem, a bind now. Uh, the first one was to yank the tap as far as it would go, meaning that it was now spraying cold water at me. I was now lying on the floor and it was freezing cold water. I mean, <laughs> it's gone from scalding to freezing cold and it's spraying right on me. I mean, I feel like hypothermia is going to set in, but I can barely move. I'm in so much pain with this. I'm worried that my tooth's going to come out. I'm sort of clutching my face. I can feel like a trickle of blood starting to... <laughs> and... The second thing, the handle of the tap has come away. I must have pulled it with such force in my urgency to get out of the scalding water. I've pulled it with such the force that the, uh, the handle of the tap has fallen off. So I'm now clutching the handle of the tap and I'm lying on the floor and, it, and, and I can't turn it off. The only thing I can do now, <laughs> the only thing I can do now is turn the hot tap off, which isn't going to help because if anything, if the hot tap's on and it's pouring out scalding water and now I've turned the cold tap as far as it'll go and it's now freezing, it's obviously not as freezing as it could potentially be. If I turn the hot tap off, it's going to be even colder and obviously I need to get up and I need to reattach the tap, but I cannot stand in this freezing cold water. It's just too cold to stand in. So I kept lying on the ground. Fortunately, I realised my tooth wasn't going to fall out. It was fine. And there was a tiny bit of blood. So I'm now shivering, lying on the bathroom floor, shivering while this jet of freezing cold water is pouring over me. And I'm thinking I need to try and reattach the uh, the tap as quickly as possible. But it's so difficult because as I lift my hand up, it gets colder, you know, because the, the jet is getting closer and closer to my arm. I'm trying to reattach this tap. My hand is just shaking up and down. And I'm trying to bang the tap, you know, the handle back on the tap. And I thought, I just can't do it. My hand is just shivering too much. There's too much pain. So I then obviously do the next logical thing, which is to then turn the uh, hot tap 
on even more. So I do that. And I literally, I turned it a tiny amount thinking, well, you know, that'll just make it warm. And then we'll be in a situation where, yes, the water will be ridiculously fast. I mean, I have to say the water was coming out ridiculously fast. It was like pelting me. It was like hailstones. I mean, why anyone would, could possibly conceivably want a shower to come out that fast? It was like a shower for sadomasochists. I was starting to think that maybe the safety rail wasn't actually a safety rail after all. It was like for some kind of weird bondage thing for say the masochists who like to have a bit of a shower they sort of can tie your hands to the uh, the shower rail there so i turned this tap as very slightly thinking well i get the the length of water just right but i must have shook you know i'm shaking with the cold i must have shook too much and i must have yanked the tap because at that point it suddenly becomes scalding again I'm like, how is this possible? There's scalding water, so I have to reach up and yank the tap again. So now, fortunately, I'm getting a massive jet of warm water over my body, and I managed to pull myself off. <laughs> I managed to pull, pull myself off the, uh, the, ba- the bottom of the bath, <laughs> back up <laughs> to the... Uh, <laughs> well, I sort of started getting into the shower for the sadomasochist idea. I was sort of really enjoying it there. So I pulled myself off <laughs> and pulled myself back up to the uh, thing. Managed to reattach the tap and turn the shower to a more respectable level of flow and heat. But it was uh, somewhat, I thought it was somewhat ironic, as I was saying. This is what I was about to say before. I essentially disabled myself. Um, I rendered myself disabled by banging my chin off the disabled rail. The disability rail was essentially the thing that disabled me. I uh, banged my chin. And me being disabled as well, technically as well, it seemed like an added layer of irony there. And it reminds me of another story. But I won't tell that story now. I shall wait till dollop 333. David's Daily Digital dollop, dollop 333. Live from London King's Cross Station. I'm in a waiting room. Uh, at London King's Cross, and I think it's just a waiting room for people who need assistance getting on the train, people who've booked assistance. But I've been put in here uh, by someone. I've been to London with a friend of mine for the last couple of days who's also blind. He's been getting assistance on the train, but I am meeting my girlfriend in an hour or so, so I don't actually need assistance on the train, but he's gone off now with the man who's given him assistance, and I am now using the waiting room of the train station, even though I'm technically not getting on the train. I'm just using it as a makeshift studio. And, um... Uh, okay, I'll, uh, I'm just gonna have to leave. Well... Ah! Well, that was bloody typical. I've been absolutely fine in that waiting room for the last hour, talking to my friend. My plan was to record a dollop very quickly, do it in the waiting room, use it as a bit of a studio because it was nice and quiet, I thought that would be nice. And also I had plug sockets as well, cheeky plug sockets, you see. Another perk of being blind. And I was in there all by myself, not a single person around. But as soon as my friend disappears, as soon as I start recording the bloody dollop, a couple come in. So I have to leave the waiting room because I didn't want to record with other people around, I thought it would be a bit awkward. I mean, it'd get a bit of atmosphere now, a bit of ambiance. So, uh, another thing happened in the shower today. Oh, bloody hell. This dollop will be recorded. Hello? Where are you? Are you, are you here? Yeah, well, that's why I said I'm just walking oh. up. I didn't walk up. Oh, bloody hell. Right, where shall I meet you? Right, let me... Hang on a minute. Let me just unplug the recording thing. Right, okay. Attempt number three. <laughs> so my plan to record in the waiting room backfired. 
Then my plan to record on the station concourse backfired because my girlfriend rang and it turned out that she got out of work earlier than it was expected. So I thought I'd have an extra half an hour to uh, record the dollop and maybe do some editing. But then she arrived, so I had to abandon things there. So I'm now on the train trying to continue this, uh, which is a little bit of an odd experience because obviously there are, it's a bit more of a quiet environment. However, I didn't really want to do it in, the, uh, in my actual seat. I thought that would be a bit ridiculous. It would be quite conspicuous. I mean, if I was going to do it like that, I would have to pretend that it was a phone conversation, which is kind of something that I, I, I do normally when I do this. I normally uh, hold my phone so it doesn't look like I'm talking to myself. Although actually, people do use hands-free phones, don't they? I mean, the whole point of having hands-free technology is that you don't have to hold your phone. So if anything, it probably just makes me look weird holding my phone and talking into it while wearing some earphones that essentially look like I'm using a hands-free device. So in my attempts to look less weird, I'm probably looking more weird and more conspicuous. Anyway, so I've gone into the uh, bits between the carriages, like where the toilets are and stuff, and I'm standing here and there's nobody else around. So I feel more able to, uh, to talk about what I was planning on talking about today. Although you never know as well, we may meet someone as we do this. I mean, this is absolute heaven for Fiona, who uh, loves it when I write about the train. Now I'm actually, uh, recording from the train I mean my goodness also I think I look rather suspicious bearing in mind that the thing that I use to record I was uh, setting it up it's got like a battery pack that goes with it but apparently it looks it's it's got no back on the the battery like it's got no case essentially it's just a battery and then it's got wires protruding from the battery and apparently it does look like a little bit of some sort of weapon or something like that like it might be some sort of detonator or something like that so I've sort of felt a bit self-conscious shuffling around in my seat trying to get all this stuff in my pocket and like getting the battery pack out, fiddling with it, putting it back in my pocket again, plugging all the wires in, standing up, then <laughs> I get my mobile phone out. So I probably looked quite suspicious there. There's a weird thing going on at the, uh, the train station at the moment. Normally on the trains, on the train station, uh, they normally have the uh, announcements that say, if you notice anything suspicious on the train or on the train station, please notify a member of staff and that kind of thing. That's normally the announcement. But they've got a new one now at King's Cross Station. It's like it's been written by a, uh, like a no-nonsense Cockney policeman or something. Or it's kind of very sort of almost Daily Mail sun kind of language that it uses and um, the announcement basically is if you see something on the station that doesn't look right tell us and we'll sort it it's quite strange language already we'll sort it and then the little catchphrase the little tagline that they have at the end goes see it say it sorted and it's just like that's a bit weird almost having like this odd catchy tagline for this thing where you're basically talking about sort of terroristic activity that kind of thing nope <laughs> the door opens and the man pushing the trolley with the, the catering trolley comes through as I've got my mobile phone in my hand there's a battery pack protruding from my pocket and the first words he hears is terroristic activity <laughs> he did rattle through that uh, carriage pretty fast with the trolley things might be about to turn interesting but it's quite odd language to use I find it's very colloquial it's kind of, as I say, quite Daily Mail, some kind of newspaper-esque. It's that kind of, as I say, like the lad's way of talking about, hey, we'll sort it, mate. See it, say it, sorted. And the other weird thing about it is the fact that it's said with that posh woman's voice. You know the, uh, the voice that they have at the station? It's her that's saying it. See it, say it, sorted. It just doesn't sound right with her voice. So I wonder if anybody has looked at my activity and thinks, well, it hasn't been sorted yet. 
I think, to be honest, the dollops are quite famous now. I think everyone probably knows what's going on. Uh, he's just recording dollop 333. I think I'm actually going to split this. Join me on the train again tomorrow, and I'll tell you about what I was planning on telling you about today, tomorrow. Anyway, uh, Michael Wackington comments on yesterday's dollop about my shower incident where I hit my chin on the uh, shower rail in a death-defying dive for the hot tap in order to quickly stop the flow of water scalding me. So Michael Wackington says, Exciting stuff, young David. Indeed, Michael. I'm glad that you appreciate that. It was very exciting, wasn't it, my shower drama? I mean, I've already had requests for a film version of it, although that was just Chloe. There's a little bit of an in-joke there. An in-joke for the hardcore fans. Well, the hardcore fans indeed. Michael goes on to say, But the question that needs to be addressed is this. Oh, hello. Sorry. It's all right, it's okay, it's all right. I'll get to what the question is. <laughs> I just showered that in your face, sorry, my friend. <laughs> the question that needs to be addressed is this. Did you bite your mouth in the process when I banged my chin off the shower rail? No, I didn't bite my lip, actually. My lip was absolutely fine. It was my tooth and my chin. We've gone past the uh, time that I predicted it would happen. I don't know whether me sneezing that time uh, on day 36, I think it was, or day 35, has reset it somehow. So my brain's gone, oh, is it, you've already bit the lip. So maybe that's me right for another 40 days or maybe even another 45 days. I don't know. He says, I feel the initial excitement about the mouth biting research project, which I have obviously got a, a vested interest in since I am going to be the CEO of the Mouth Biting Research Institute, although I am still waiting to receive information about a salary. And with all the work that you've been doing at the moment, I would have expected a contribution by now. I feel the initial excitement about this project has died down from you. Michael, not bandy such reckless words around as that, my friend. Fear not. Then he says, let's get biting. Now, Michael, I think You've failed to understand the, the point of the job. The job of our mouth-biting research project is essentially to take notes and have a, a record of when people bite their mouths. Involuntary mouth-biting incidents. We're not seeking to encourage people to bite their mouths. You're suggesting that you want, you want people to bite their mouths. And I think you have a vested interest. You presumably think, Michael, that you're going to get paid per mouth bite which is not how it works. We don't want people to bite their mouths. We want to eradicate mouth biting altogether. And I think you've betrayed there your true sentiments. You're just, you're just in it for the money. You saw a lucrative opportunity there and you've, you've, you've betrayed your real feelings there with the whole let's get biting thing. No, let's not get biting. Let's try and stop people from biting. That's kind of the problem with these things. Any kind of charity, any person who works for a charity, any CEO of a charity is essentially dependent. The thing that they're trying to address, they need it to happen. So essentially, if you're a CEO of a homeless charity, you're essentially making yourself redundant if you solve the problem. So that's the problem, really, isn't it? You need them to be homeless people, otherwise you're not going to be in a job. I mean, imagine you just get a job at Cancer Research. Maybe you become the CEO of Cancer Research, and you think, my goodness, ka-ching, this is it, I've got a job for life. And then you wake up the next morning, and the world is a buzz. Cure for cancer. Cure for all cancers. Absolutely fine. We found a blade of grass, basically, that grows freely. Freely available. No need for any drugs or anything like that. Just take the grass and you'll be absolutely fine. And the rest of the world will be absolutely, you know, be absolutely brilliant. But you would be like, oh, 
Well, thank you very much. You'd be like one of the only people in the world who was really pissed off. And you wouldn't really be able to share it with anyone because you'd feel like the most heartless bastard in the world, wouldn't you? Like, oh, you're looking a bit down, mate. Yeah, well, they've only got a cure with cancer, haven't they? You know, that's, you couldn't really share it with anybody. The thing that I was planning on telling you about, uh, I had a shower again today. And I made a little joke yesterday about the fact that um, the water from the shower was ridiculous. It was either like massively hot or massively cold. I couldn't get it right and it was always going to the extremes. And also, it was a really fast jet. It was like pelting on me. It felt like it was tearing my skin off. It was that fast. Like hailstones coming down. Then I hit my chin off the shower rail and I suggested that actually it might have not been the disability rail or the safety rail as first thought. It might have actually been a, a rail for bondage, maybe so you could, like someone could tie your hands to it. The shower for sadomasochists. Well, actually, I, I think I might not be far wrong about that because the shower gel that I used today was absolutely ridiculous. I put the shower gel on and it was one of those minty ones. You know, the ones that make your body tingle a little bit and it's quite nice, it's quite revitalizing, and it's uh, refreshing. Except this one was like 10 times stronger than any mint shower gel that I've had before. You don't feel it at first as well. It lulls you into a false sense of security. So there I am, I'm putting the shower gel on and everything's absolutely fine, rubbing it in there. And I had a whole bottle of shower gel to use. And I wasn't going to use it again. I, want, I thought I might as well use the remainder of this bottle. And I think it knows you're going to do this. The people at the hotel know that you're going to reuse the entire bottle because there's no point not using it because you're leaving the hotel. So all they're going to do is throw the bottle out if you haven't used it. So you might as well use the, the small bottle. You might as well use all of it. So it's a bit more than you would ordinarily use for a shower. So I squeezed it into my hand, laughed myself up, and I thought, well, I've still got loads of the bottle left. So, you know, why not? I might as well treat myself. So I put a little bit extra on me, uh, on me private parts, you know, I thought, no, no, treat myself. You know, I've, I've done well. I've, uh, I've, I've been ill. I've still managed to do the dollops. Why not? Special treat. And all of a sudden, I felt it. Firstly, I felt it on my shoulders. I knew what was coming because I put it on my shoulders first and I could feel it. And I thought, oh, that's a bit, that's a bit much, isn't it? And then it got more and more and I knew what was coming. And it was unbelievable. It was, it was pretty painful on my shoulders, but I knew it was coming, coming to my genitalia. And my God, they were set ablaze. It was absolutely ridiculous. And then I did the obvious, the, the most logical thing. I thought, right, quickly, rinse it off, get the water, rinse it off. So I went to rinse it. And when I put water on it, I sort of got hold of the shower head and I jetted it with water, thinking that would improve it. But it just made it worse. When it came into contact with water, it seemed to amplify it even more. <coughs> so I actually do think I did end up getting into a shower that was designed for sadomasochists. Anyway, I'll tell you about the other thing that I was intending to talk about. I'll do that tomorrow. When I was telling my shower story a few days ago, it sort of reminded me of this little story, which involves water and also involves injury, tooth-based injury. And this story is one, I think, that happened when I was about seven year old, I think it was. I think it was the destruction of my innocence, my childhood innocence. It was kind of the removal of childhood, and it was a rude awakening into the, the rough, tough reality. And it all happened in Eastbourne, on holiday with my family in Eastbourne, when I was seven year old. And I was in the swimming pool, and I was bouncing up and down, and my parents said, Oh, there's some uh, balls over there that the uh, kids are playing on. And I thought, brilliant. I was so excited. Because only a few weeks earlier, I'd been to a swimming pool, and there'd been some soft play balls. You know, you just jump on them face first, and you have a good climb all over them, and that kind of thing. But I was really excited about this. And I was like, right, I'm going to go for them. So I leapt into the air towards the ball. And I began to fly towards the balls. I had my mouth wide open. And in childhood glee, absolute glee, I began to shout, Wee! as I headed towards the balls. I was ready. I was ready for that soft embrace. But they weren't soft play balls. 
They were massive concrete balls. And my parents were looking in absolute horror. But they couldn't do anything to stop it. It all happened in about a second or two. I was going too fast. They could do nothing to stop it. And I had so much excitement inside of me. So much adrenaline. Where I got my mouth open. And I was screaming in excitement. And then... Smash! My nose hit the concrete. My head hit the concrete. Blood started splurging everywhere. My tooth crumbled in my mouth. And I started slipping down the ball, down the concrete ball, into the water. My mum and dad lifting me out of the water, shaking in absolute fear. And I start screaming, traumatised. I've got my hands towards my mouth and there's blood and there's tooth just coming out. And it's just that moment, standing there, shivering in the cold, my tooth falling out of my mouth and my head cut open and my nose all bleeding and bruised and just standing there crying uncontrollably more than I probably can remember consciously crying before up until that point and there that was the moment I think that my childhood sort of ended I mean obviously I didn't I had good times after that but it was a, it was a moment of where my innocence left me and I realized that actually the world wasn't this completely friendly safe place and that my parents couldn't protect me from everything. I didn't even know there was things to be protected from, but now I do. And that changed everything. From that moment that I went from expectation, excited expectation, to bang, smack into the concrete, and I had to go to hospital, and I had to go to the dentists, and oh my God. Anyway, that reminds me of another story, but I'm doing that tomorrow. You all right, Elsa? Just waiting for Ben. Oh, waiting for Ben to get out of the bathroom. Do you want to wait for Ben to get out of the bathroom, listeners, or should I just leave it here? Out. He's out of the bathroom! Excellent drama there. A little bit extra, people. Good night, Ben. Good night, Elsa. Good night to you. And good night to you. Christmas creme brulee with chocolate biscuits. Oh, orange tart. I'm going to go for the uh, hot and chocolate cake. And I'm sure you'll agree there, listeners, I've made an excellent choice. David's Daily Digital Dollop Dollop 300. And 36. So we are recording in the uh, toilet of the Metberry, where we're about to do our first Christmas gig. The uh, Metberry has recently had a £4 million refurb. It's been all refurbished and it's, uh, it's had a proper makeover. £4 million has been spent on it. And we are the first band to play in that venue since it opened. In fact, that's where £2 million has gone just on booking us for the, the grand opening. I mean, this is the toilet that I'm in now. Uh, I'm not sure how much of the money has been spent on this particular toilet. I would say it's, uh, it's, it's relatively plain. I don't think it's got much going for it, particularly. It's got a shower in there, but I wouldn't imagine the bulk of the money has been spent on the toilet. Is, am I being called here, yes or not? What? I thought you were saying something to me. Uh, a, a little joke here. A little joke? Oh, I could do one of those. Uh, <laughs> feel free. I, I just said... Have you missed us, Neil? That's <laughs> Neil. He's referring to Neil Ferguson, our sound man, from Chumbawamba fame and Black Lace fame as well. <laughs> he produced the songs for Black Lace, all of the classics, all of the classics, Agadu, Conga, We're Having a Gangbang. He probably did that one, I would imagine. I think we're going to have to do an interview at some point with Neil for the uh, Youngins podcast, the uh, many stories that no doubt can be told. But today's dollop focuses on the story that I was going to tell you yesterday, but then I decided to do that story today. And it's a very quick story, just about 
a situation, I talked yesterday about the event that happened that destroyed my childhood innocence. It reminded me of a story that I'm going to tell you today, which is uh, when I was on a bus. I can hear, the bus is pulling up and I can hear the sound of a really excited child. I can already hear the child is jumping up and down as, it, as the bus pulls into the bus stop and he's shouting about something. He's really excited and then the bus doors open and it soon becomes clear as he gets on the bus with his mother what he's excited about. He's excited because it's a double-decker bus. As the doors open, I hear him shout, Wow, it's a double-decker bus! Yes, yes! And he jumps on that bus and he's so excited. He's obviously been excited about this since he saw the bus round the corner, realised it was a double-decker. And now he's jumping up and down impatiently while his mother tries to pay for the bus fare. And he's really excited, not everyone around us is laughing as well, you know, like little chuckles and stuff. Just at the brilliance, youthful innocence, this little child just so excited about going on a double-decker bus. And he says, I've never been on a double-decker bus before. This is absolutely amazing. And he's so excited about it. Just like me, with the balls. Just like, <laughs> if you didn't listen to yesterday's dog, you probably wondered, what? What? <laughs> You'll have to go back and listen. Anyway, so his mother goes, he's got, can we go, to, can we go to the top? Can we go to the top? And his mother says, yes, yes, just wait there. Can we go to the top? Yes, we can go to the top. And he's really excited. And he's whooping as he runs up the stairs. And he runs, and it was he's, the sound of his pattering feet on the stairs. He's like, Way! As he runs up so excited about getting on the top of the bus. And then the sound stops. And there's like a second pause, and then you hear thud, 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 thud. And he's lying on the bottom of the steps, he's just slid down. And of course this isn't a particularly funny thing, but it was the sound of it. Maybe it's the fact that I couldn't see the crumpled child on the bottom of the floor, but it was the sound of it, it was just the... The drama of it all. It was just the, 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 as I say, the secret of comedy is timing. And there was just something so perfectly timed by this collage of sound. The child's glee. And then the running up the stairs. And then the pause. And then the thud, thud, thud as he went down. And he fell onto the floor in a crumpled heap and just started crying. And I just thought the irony in that moment, in a way, or the, the, the ridiculousness, that he's just gone from so much youthful excitement and said, this is it, this, my life is going to be the best it's ever been, that kind of feeling. And then the reality hits him and he realises, as I realised yesterday, well, I didn't realise yesterday, but I realised in the story that I told yesterday, that the, uh, the world isn't the safe place as you think it is and uh, he got a rude awakening on that day and there was just something about the sound that just made me laugh and I just started laughing and everybody else on the bus is so concerned and is like all gathered around the child and I can't stop it I'm just laughing I know he's all, he's, he's obviously not dead I mean he's whimpering <laughs> and I'm just rocking backwards and forwards and when you know you're not meant to laugh it makes you laugh even more and I was rocking backwards and forwards and making all sorts of ridiculous noises trying to stifle my laughter normally when i'm uh, when i need to stop laughing in these awkward situations and situations where you're really not meant to laugh what i do is i try and think of someone who i love dying or something like that that normally stops me from laughing but unfortunately i was laughing too much i kind of forgot my formula and just thought of someone dying uh, and it happened to be michael i thought of michael hughes and uh, that just made me laugh even more it was absolutely ridiculous and so i just thought what the bloody hell am i going to do and in the end i just couldn't stop laughing and I just had to get off the bus. I thought, I can't face the recrimination of people seeing me. So I just legged it off the bus and I just waited for the next one. <laughs>
But it's strange how these things creep up on you. These weird things where you just think, you know, why has that happened? Why am I responding in that way? I shall be back tomorrow with Dollop 337. We've got to go on stage in the next few minutes, so I better quickly upload this. Goodbye. Thank you very much. Now, this is what normally happens. I then go back into the room, and uh, Michael then gives me direct uh, feedback on everything, yeah? So we have to fill out uh, the the form and uh, (laughs) compliance. Oh, I just set the recorder going. If it had been a few seconds earlier, you'd have heard Sean saying, Hello, it's me. Which is the thing that Sean says every single time he calls someone up who he knows. If it's his mum and dad, if it's his wife... He'll always say, hello, it's me. Which is a bit of a non-statement, really. Because as soon as you say hello, the person will know who you are. And also nowadays, with mobile phone technology, you can see who the person is before they call. I've heard it before where he's, he's been on speakerphone. So the first person's gone, hello, Sean, you all right? And he goes, hello, it's me. He's like, well, yeah, we, 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 I know. I've just said hello, Sean. He does it to me. Hello, it's me. I don't know why he does it all the time. He does it. I am now in a toilet, another toilet, <laughs> We're, get, we're getting about. Hey, I treat you, don't I? Hey, I take you to places. You tune into these dollops and I really take you to places. We're in a toilet in Cecil Sharp House in London, where we are performing our second Christmas gig. And I told a story yesterday that reminded me of another story. And I thought I'd quickly tell you that and then quickly do a sound check. And then we've got to get on stage. So, and it was a story about something that happened at our agent's wedding. Our agent and our friend Phil uh, was getting married. He asked us to perform at his wedding. And he asked us to perform a specific song. And it was this like, sort of barbershop quartet type thing. And it was sort of along the lines of, Let me call you sweetheart, I'm in love with you. It's the kind of song that's very difficult not to sing in a posh sort of stereotypical barbershop quartet accents. Anyway, so we, uh, we sang this song. For some reason, Sean and Michael could just not get their heads around it at all and just kept doing the wrong notes and then saying the wrong words. It's absolutely ridiculous. The song is four lines, essentially. That's all it is, four lines. But for some reason, they would get it wrong every single time and it was getting more and more frustrating. You know, we knew the song was only four lines long, so we didn't really give it much thought until the night before it was time to do it. And we thought, oh, we better learn this song quickly, you know, put some harmonies on top of it, it'll be absolutely fine. But they just kept getting it wrong every single time. And it got to the day of the wedding and we were driving down, I had about an hour or two drive in the van, and we were practising this song non-stop in the van. And one of them would always make a mistake. But eventually, after about an hour or so, they got it right. And we thought, brilliant, we've got it, let's do it again, make sure we've got it. And they would get it wrong. And we'd just keep going on like that for the journey. But as the journey came to an end, we eventually managed to get it right three times in a row. Perfect. We got in the church. It was only us there. Nobody else had arrived at this point. And we sang it in the church. Spot on. Absolutely perfect. Half an hour before the wedding, we went outside just to have another practice. Sean made a mistake. So Sean's getting really stressed. He, he shuts himself in the van and like <laughs> tries to learn it. And I just can't understand. I can't understand what the difficulty was. Bearing in mind we've learned songs with masses of verses in them. And this is a four-line song, and each time there was a mistake, or we got, someone got a note wrong or something like that. The time of the wedding came, and we were, the three of us were really nervous about this, because we thought, we're going to mess it up, aren't we? You know, they're going to be... This is while they're walking down the aisle, and we've got to sing this song, and we're going to completely balls it up. Our hearts are pounding so fast, and we start singing this song as they walk down the aisle. And... Well, we sort of get it right, but it's not. <laughs> Michael or Sean or whatever just sort of dropped out at one point and then came back in. But it, for all intents and purposes, 
it was fine. And actually, we needn't worry. As long as we didn't completely balls it up, it was going to be absolutely fine anyway. Because no one was focusing on us. Obviously, everybody was more interested in the fact that the bride was walking down the aisle. But the sense of relief was so immense once we finished this song that we managed to do it. And uh, I think that it sort of explains why what happened next happened. Because we were just so giddy with the relief. The vicar doing the ceremony introduces herself and says, Thank you very much for coming today. I am the Reverend Gay Pie. And we couldn't help ourselves. I think just because we were so relieved by getting this song right, and we thought, that's it, we're, we're off the hook now, we can enjoy the thing. And we were just so relieved, that emotion, that pent-up emotion just got the better of us. And the three of us started laughing, and I could tell that the other two were laughing next to me. I could feel them rocking, and I could hear like the spluttering sound as they tried not to laugh. And of course, that makes it worse. When you're trying not to laugh, and there's two other people trying not to laugh next to you, it makes it even worse. So she says, I am the Reverend Gay Pie. And this name, it just makes us laugh hysterically. That was the first bit. We managed to calm ourselves down from that, but now and again, we just kept chuckling. But we managed to calm ourselves down from that, and the wedding continued. But it wasn't until the bit where she said, now we've got some readings that have been chosen by the couple. And the first reading is a passage from the Lord of the Rings. And I still giddy with relief and that weird feeling of having laughed before. Whisper to Michael, My precious, she's mine, precious. In his ear, well, I mean, that sets Michael off. And he's not, he's not ready for it. And he suddenly, I just hear this sound of, no, no, as he tries not to laugh. And that sound makes me completely go. So I can... <laughs> which kind of sounds a bit like Schmeagle, the character in The Lord of the Rings. Sean is trying not to laugh, Michael's trying not to laugh. Other people in the, the thing have obviously wondering what the hell's going on, and a few people are laughing at us, a few people are kind of, of scowling slightly. We just continue rocking backwards and forwards, trying not to laugh, occasionally making weird noises, while she reads out this passage where it's just describing some kind of elven landscape or something, and two lovers or something like that walking hand in hand. It's nothing to do with Schmeagle in the uh, cave it's going on about my precious but we're trying not to laugh and the laughter just gets so bad that at one point I look to my left and I see that there's a door I think to the vestry or something like that and I wonder if it's locked I wonder if I can go in there and I was seriously contemplating just making a dash for it and just shutting myself in there because I just couldn't control the laughter anymore but fortunately I managed to get it under control and uh, thought about my mum dying or something like that it's just weird when something like that happens eruptions of laughter thank you to Sadie who commented on yesterday's blog to uh, the coincidence the massive coincidence that she was listening to the dollop while on a double decker bus she was on a double decker bus at the top listening to my story so hello to anybody who is listening to this dollop while in a church during a wedding ceremony um special hello to you i think it's probably unlikely and i think you might want to consider your friendship or family connection to this person and how seriously you're taking it. I mean, I know the dollops are addictive, but seriously. Not during a family member's wedding, for goodness sake. Anyway, there we go. Dollop 337 in the bag. I'll be back tomorrow with dollop 338.